become a change maker in the health industry today. Enroll for the Functional Nutrition course and become an internationally recognized expert on the vitalistic philosophy of food and nutrition with our friends at the Functional Nutritional Academy. Register now and receive a six-week bonus accreditation course providing you with the business tools to start and grow your own business and get a whopping $1,000 discount. So don't delay. Start your healthcare career today at thewellnesscouch.com forward slash functional. That's thewellnesscouch.com forward slash functional. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back. Light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Leanne Vogel. She's a passionate nutritional educator. She's the host of the Keto Diet Podcast, which is going off in America. Um, She's a four-time best-selling author. She's the largest keto resource on YouTube. And she says that her paperback was the first ketogenic book to debut at Costco ever, which is pretty cool. Um, her goal is to help you do away with feeling overpowered and controlled by food by giving you the tools you need to inject your life with happiness, healthfulness, and a whole lot of dietary fat. She found keto during her personal struggles with health and weight loss, and it transformed her life, ending an eight-year struggle with amenorrhea, hyperthyroidism, adrenal dysfunction, and ultra-low hormones. And she immediately set out on a path to help others find the same success. So welcome to the show, Leanne. Thanks so for such a beautiful introduction. That's oh, great. Thank you. My pleasure. There was a lot to use. I had to like try and cut it down. You've done so much cool <laughs> stuff, Leanne. I had to try and squeeze it all in. But uh, it's an amazing journey. It's it's unfortunately one that we hear all too often. Uh, but particularly for you, some very specific symptoms in terms of the amenorrhea, the hypothyroidism, adrenal dysfunction. Those seem to be things that we're seeing more and more of at the moment. There seem to be more and more ladies in particular struggling with these things. Um, obviously, particularly amenorrhea, that, that's much more likely to be ladies. But, uh, but, but ladies struggling with hypothyroidism and adrenal issues as well. Um, and so why do you think it is that these issues are becoming so common? Yeah, I think it's kind of, there's a lot of different factors. Um, Specifically for me, the main reason I had amenorrhea is because I wasn't eating enough and also I wasn't eating enough fat. So I like to imagine fat as really the precursor for many of our hormones. When we're eating enough fat, we have enough cholesterol and that cholesterol is a precursor for many of our sex hormones. So in the case of my amenorrhea, as soon as I started eating enough and eating enough fat, uh, my hormones got a lot better and I started uh, menstruating and then ovulating. And so I think oftentimes what I see with amenorrhea, even with my clients is just not eating enough or working out too much. I was addicted to running a couple of years ago and I'm sure that didn't help the situation and mostly lifestyle factors as well. And then with thyroid and adrenal, um, Thyroid, usually a lot of people have problems with their thyroid and they go to the doctor and the doctor says that they're fine and they continue to get worse. And I think that the problem that I see time and time again is if we would have caught the thyroid stuff way like eons ago. I mean, I've had clients that have gone 20 years hypothyroid and never been diagnosed. And by the time they get diagnosed, it's really bad. So I went about four years with hypothyroid until a doctor said, wait a minute. No, you have hypothyroidism. And so for me, it was getting on the proper medication, my desiccated thyroid. But had I 
you know, approached it a lot sooner, specifically with the fact that I wasn't eating enough and I wasn't having enough fat. And I also was working out way too much. I think that that also contributed to my thyroid as well as my adrenal. So usually what I see is amenorrhea usually comes with also thyroid problems and adrenal issues. Uh, perhaps your adrenal function isn't as bad or your thyroid is just struggling a little bit. But usually when I meet with people that have amenorrhea, those two, two other things are, are a little bit wonky as well. So it's a lot to do with your lifestyle and the foods you choose to eat. And, um, coming from the vegan space, I was vegan for many, many years. I don't think that that specifically benefited my personal body and heart, caused a lot of harm on me personally. Now that's not me saying that vegan is bad or anything. Totally respect the vegans. If I could still be vegan, I would, it just didn't sit well with my body. So I really had to take a step back and look at all the factors that were causing me to have these problems. And you know, thyroid in particular seems to be something that so many people are talking about. I can just think right now, there's so many ladies coming to see me in practice who are dealing with thyroid issues. And um, as you said, many of them seem to be undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. It seems like uh, you know many people don't know what to look for in terms of thyroid issues. But even when they do, it seems that the testing we're doing isn't necessarily the right testing. Um, and then the treatments for that, whether that's the medications or whether that's the supplementations, don't seem to always be very targeted or getting the right results either. So do you think there's a lot of challenges there around thyroid in terms of diagnosis and also treatment? Yes, huge with the diagnosis. So the numbers that you're looking for, there are a couple. You want your TSH to be around 1.4. And the normal range, people will say, is like 3 or 4. But if it's that high, you probably have an issue with your thyroid. And what that TSH is doing is it's a pituitary creating this hormone to stimulate the thyroid to create hormones. So it's not necessarily a thyroid hormone, but it triggers the thyroid to create those hormones. So if your TSH is too high, that means your pituitary is constantly going out to your thyroid being like, girl, wake up, let's do the things. And the thyroid's like, meh, right? So it's constantly increasing. And then another thing you want to look at is your free T3. So this is the amount of hormone that your body is creating that's readily available and ready to be converted. Uh, So the number that you're looking for is around 5.6 to 6.5. I feel, you know, where I feel best at is around 6.7. That's where I exhibit no hypothyroid system uh, symptoms rather. And also too, if, if blood work is inaccessible to you, uh, I know like in Canada, all of our blood work is free. So (laughs) that's ridiculous. You know, an American hears that and I'm not sure what your, um, healthcare system is like down under, but, uh, you know, if you have to pay for this, it can be quite ridiculous. So some things that you can look for is like constipation or cold hands, cold feet. Uh, If you're tracking your ovulation, then you know your body temperatures. If they're too low, that could also be hypothyroidism. Any digestive issues, if you're getting very bloated after meals, or even if you have a little snack and you're getting bloated and your digestion isn't working well, if your sex drive is low, uh, there are so many signs that point to hypothyroidism. Yeah, and in Australia, you know, you can get that blood work done, uh, but it, the challenge sometimes is finding a GP who understands it well enough and is A, willing to refer you for the tests and B, willing to refer you for the right tests can sometimes be the issue. Huge, yeah. It's a struggle to find a doctor that 
will agree that uh, even free T3 is something that you want to test for. It took me about three years to find a doctor that would even test my free T3. So, you know, you have to find a doctor that's willing to be on your side and that can be a little bit frustrating. So sometimes it's best to just go after symptoms. But when it comes to medication, in the case of me, like I, my hypothyroidism has had gotten to a point where I needed medication. There was no way around it. Uh, and I started off at 120 milligrams of desiccated thyroid and have slowly gone down as I've made other changes in my life. But uh, there's no way that I could have recovered from that um, without the medication. So if you're in that boat, you really need to find a doctor that can be on your side. Yeah, and you know, in Australia, there's groups like ACNEM, the Australasian College of Nutritional Environmental Medicine. There's groups like Mind, um, and they uh, they have doctors who are trained and mu- and much more that way inclined, who are willing to look into that sort of stuff for you. Uh, the challenge again can be that they're often very busy <laughs> because there are a lot mm-hmm. of people looking for those sort of services and not a lot of doctors providing them. So sometimes the waiting list to get in and do that can be challenging as well. But um, you know, you've mentioned the medications there, and so in terms of medications and supplementations, I guess you know sometimes it can seem like they're a bit of a blunt tool as well that that we sort of just throw these medications at people and and doesn't yes. necessarily always be the right thing at the right time in the right quantity to get the right results. Is, is that your experience as well? Yeah, huge, huge. <laughs> I mean, if you go to a doctor and you say that you have, it's been my experience anyway. I go to a doctor, I say, you know, I have constipation. This was a constant thing when I had hypothyroidism of like, I have constipation, I have constipation. And they would just give me, um, oh gosh, I've been on every constipation tool out there. And one of them was, uh, I want to say it was lactose, but it was a sugar um, from milk. I, uh, I can't remember remember. Um, and I actually had a huge allergic reaction to it. And they had said, you know, just because you're allergic to dairy doesn't mean you can't have this. And I was in the hospital for a couple days. And it was just, you know, that was kind of that moment of like, okay, I need to take my health into my own hands, because constantly relying on people outside of my body to tell me what to do clearly isn't working for me. And I mean, there are times where medication is required for certain things. But I think, um, we don't take our health in our own hands and it's really our responsibility. So if you feel like you have the symptoms of hypothyroid and you can't find a doctor to help you, you can help yourself. You could try, um, you know, if you feel comfortable with it, you could try some iodine, um, Lugol solution iodine, or you could do some selenium and kind of see how that goes and look at the foods that you're eating. Um, the ketogenic diet was super helpful for me in my thyroid. So just because you can't find a healthcare practitioner to support you doesn't mean that you can't support yourself because your health is the most important thing in your life because without your health, you really have nothing. So, um, I mean, for that to be an empowering statement, not to overwhelm anyone. <laughs> so let's talk about some of that empowering stuff. Uh, you know, you obviously discovered the keto diet. How did that come about for you? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I was vegan uh, for many, many years. And while I was studying nutrition about 10 years ago, 10 years ago this year, actually, I went off birth control and I was vegan at the time and my period never came back. And so I went years, uh, I met with a couple doctors and they said, you know, do you want to have children? I'm like, no. And they're like, well, what's the problem? So I was like, yeah, what is the problem? And that went on for years. So about the sixth year where I started to get kind of concerned because I still hadn't got my period back. So I met with a naturopath and she recommended a low carb diet. And I was like, are you crazy? Like I am a vegan. I eat carbs, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, snack, snack. Uh, There's no way that I can do that. It's so unhealthy. And that night I was on Instagram and one of my friends had posted a picture of a bunch of fat on a plate and she used only one hashtag and it was keto. And I clicked on that hashtag and all these pictures came up of 
bacon and cheese and cheese and dairy and dairy and cheese and bacon and more sausages and just like all of these things that I hadn't eaten in ages. And I ended up finding a book called Keto Clarity by Jimmy Moore. And I read that book and I figured, you know what? It's the only thing I haven't tried. I mean, I was a low fat vegan to the point where I would cook with water. My hummus would be made with water instead of tahini and oil. Like I didn't eat fat. And so I did a complete 180 for about two weeks. It took me to kind of get into the groove. Um, and after I gave myself, uh, three months and after two months I had lost about 12% body fat, which was brought on by hormone weight gain. Cause I was on hormone replacement therapy at the time. Uh, I'd lost that 12% body fat that, that equaled 20 pounds. I had tons of energy. Uh, previous to that, I was sleeping all the time as a vegan. My husband has pictures of me sprinkled all through his computer of me just passing out in various places, like anywhere really on buses, on trains, in the house, watching TV, hmm. um, in the kitchen. So, um, to have all this energy and vitality was amazing. And the, my mental clarity got a lot better. I was actually able to go off my ADHD medications for the first time in over, I haven't done the calculation. It's gotta be at least 11 years. Um, so things were moving for me. And I, I really started on this path of using keto to heal my body, my hormones were starting to look better. But then I started dealing with all these symptoms. Um, my hair started falling out in in large quantities. Uh, I stopped being able to sleep, I had so much energy. So it was the complete opposite. Uh, I was starting to get really jittery. I was obsessing over food, I would watch people eat food and just stare at them and think about food and dream about food. And that's when I developed my fat field protocol, which I've now been following uh, for two years and which is in my program, the keto diet, as well as my online program, fat fueled, where I talk about how to heal your body with keto and to listen to your body and eat enough food and, you know, eat enough carbohydrates on a ketogenic eating style. Um, which in turn, you know, if anyone's ever heard of the practice cyclical ketosis, that's what I started doing. And after nine months, I got my period back. And every doctor said, you know, you're in a place where this won't be a thing. If you want to have uh, babies, you're going to have to wear a pump. And this is the way it's going to have to be. And so to go to those doctors about a year after and say, hey, I got my period. Oh, and I'm ovulating every month. It was it was really nice. And they still don't believe that I got it back by eating fat. So <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. Like you said, your two week transition period, you went from like literally like no fat at all <laughs> to just eating bucket loads of fat. Um, what happened and to meat. your body? What happened to your body during that time? Like what were the what side effects did you notice? I didn't notice anything. I it's so strange. So I was vegan for eight years and I went from eating a plant-based diet of nuts and seeds and beans and lots of carbs to steak and brisket and chicken in a matter of two weeks. And I was fine. Like I, I was so scared. Um, because everyone says like when you go from eating vegan for such a long time, you're going to have all these issues. I had zero issues. So I, I mean, I remember the first time I had meat, uh, the only real thing that I noticed was that I felt really energetic. It was definitely the right choice for me. And <laughs> I'd been thinking about eating meat for the last five years of being a vegan for eight. Like I was always thinking about meat. So I think for me, it was just the right choice. And I didn't experience any side effects other than actually feeling good for the first time in a really long time. And, and with the fat, it was definitely a progression. So that was the protein piece. That was no problem. But for the fat, um, 
I remember the first day I decided that I was going to up my fat quite a lot. And I would say I was about at a hundred grams that day and I felt so sick, like nauseous and horrible. And I was really shaky, uh, probably because I wasn't eating a lot of carbs or not as many as I was used to. Um, I was eating around 400 to 450 grams of carbs a day. So that was a big difference to Mm. then go down to say 200 over a little while. And so the main thing with fat is that I realized that I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. And that's why it took me about two weeks to situate myself as I slowly increase the fat instead of day one or day zero, uh, zero grams of fat and day one, 200 grams of fat or something. It was just too much. So um, yeah, baby step it. Um, so you don't feel nauseous. And if you feel like, uh, um, fat is a little bit harder to digest things like sauerkraut juice uh, and even sauerkraut or fermented foods can be really helpful for creating that bile to break down that fat. So you don't feel nauseous like I did. And for people making that step, as you see, it can be quite a challenge. I mean, two weeks seems like a pretty short period of time anyway, to be making such a big transition. But, um, what sort of foods do you recommend people to start eating if they do want to start getting some more fat into their diet? Yeah, I guess it depends on what they're eating right now. If they're eating uh, a pretty whole food based diet, really all you're doing is swapping out your sweet potatoes and potatoes and fruits for more fats. So those more fats could be, you know, adding more oil to your salads, whether that be maybe avocado oil or olive oil or some sort of nut or seed oil. Uh, It could also mean cooking with more fat. So whether you're using coconut oil, um, if you are familiar with any of the um, animal-based fats like tallow or lard, those can be helpful as well. Um, And then also, you know, if you're coming from more of a, you know, standard American diet or even a vegan diet where it's still plant-based, but... That's um, what I was thinking. I'm I'm imagining people coming from the vegan diet, like the concept of just sitting down and consuming large (laughs) amounts of animal fat is probably going to be challenging for them mentally as much as physically, right? So, so what sort of foods are good, do you think, to people to start with from that perspective? Yeah, I think it, it goes... I definitely want to mention that I've met a lot of vegans that continue to be vegan as a ketogenic individual. So for them, if they want to continue to eat vegan, it's going to be about uh, lowering their amount of carbohydrates by going for more low carb items like your nuts and your seeds um, that will still have protein, lots of greens, broccoli, kale, where you can still get your protein, um, but not a lot of those starchy things that we eat as vegans, uh, and then increasing your fat that way. But know that if you're vegan, going keto doesn't have to mean that you're pounding down the bacon because that can be hard for um, that whole process. And maybe you're vegan for ethical reasons and you're not comfortable with that. But if you are and you're like, oh my gosh, finally permission to eat animals. I've been waiting for this moment. Um, and But you're still a little bit ethically uh, inclined. Something that I still do to this day and will probably never change um, is going toward more grass-fed, grass-finished meats. Um, I've actually been to the place where we purchase our animal proteins. I've met with the ranchers. I've interacted with them. I've seen the animals and how they're taken care of because that's really important to me. Um, so if you are going to eat animal protein, something you may want to try first before you even go there is play around with your vegan foods and see how you can eat lower carbohydrate and increase your fat with plant-based fats. And once you get used to that, I mean, I did it in a two-week span because I was sick and I was feeling like garbage and I needed to change like yesterday. Um, But if you're more of the patient type, I'm not patient at all, um, then you could, you know, lower the carb, increase the fat with your diet right now, and then slowly start to wean in um, 
maybe animal-based fats first, so like your tallow or lard. Um, maybe try a lot of vegans say, like, I've always wanted bacon. Um, a lot of vegans that say that they moved over to keto are like, yeah, the first thing I ate was bacon. Um, you could try that. Um, but pork is going to be a lot harder to digest sometimes. I never noticed it. Uh, but you might want to try something like fish first and then chicken and then beef and then pork to kind of reintroduce your body. But know that um, you don't have to eat animal protein on a ketogenic diet uh, in order to be successful. Nice. So, do you think keto is for everyone? Like, what sort of percentages of fat, protein, and carbs are we talking about? And, and do you think that everyone can benefit from going that way? Or do you think there are particular lifestyles that are, or particular, um, I guess, predispositions or, you know, um, chronic health issues that are really predisposed to being suited to keto? And, and do you think there are perhaps other people who aren't suited to doing keto? Yeah, so uh, I think it would be ridiculous if I sat here and said, yeah, everyone can be keto. It'll work for everybody. No, nothing works for everyone. Uh, and we're all so individual. So you might find that you try keto and you have none of the results that I had. And you, you think that I'm the craziest lady alive. So, and that's totally cool. Um, so it won't work for everybody. Uh, our macros, so that's how much percentage of fat, protein, and carbs we're having usually it's going to be about 80% of everything that you eat is going to be fat. 15% uh, is going to be protein and 5% is going to be carbs. So that percentage just represents the grams of that item that you are eating in a day. And some situations where keto can be really helpful uh, are going to be um, like that classic ketogenic approach where um, you're eating low carb, high fat using those macros that I shared with you. So about 80% fat, 15% protein and 5% carbs. That's going to be great um, for people that are experiencing cancer um, or epilepsy where they have to have that amount of fat in order to lower uh, their symptoms. Um, anyone with severe allergies to food or having issues with food could be helped with um, either my fat field protocol or just the standard ketogenic approach. Um, restrictive dieters that have been craving fat for a really long time and maybe they're having um, hormone issues or they're dealing with uh, mental issues or brain fog, it's probably a good sign that you need a lot more fat. Um, women in menopause thrive on a ketogenic diet because their hormones are a little bit different and they don't have that same cycle that say a woman that was uh, ovulating and in productive age that they can be benefit it can be beneficial for them as well um athletes if you're doing more anaerobic training or rather aerobic training you can burn uh fat as your fuel primarily and you can run long distance uh and burn fat because we have about give or take depending on your body fat and your composition you have about 50,000 calories on your body at any given time that you can use as fat, like those are your fat calories. Whereas glycogen, how carbohydrates are stored in the body, you have about 400 grams. So like maybe 1200 calories, like maybe 1200 calories. So you can just see the difference. Um, if you are a long distance runner and you need that steady state energy, carbohydrates, I know when I was a runner, I always had the gels and the gummies and I switched over to medjool dates and I was always eating carbohydrates to refuel that. But uh, an aerobic athlete, um, they can burn fat, fat 
all day, every day, and it's great. Um, Candida, Candida suffers, um, people with acne. I mean, the list goes on. Um, but you might have acne and try keto and it doesn't work for you. And that could be a very real thing. Yeah. Um, so those are just a couple of things that come to mind. Thanks, Leanne. You know, you're taking me back to our original co-host, uh, Stephanie, on that paleo show. Uh, when you say about, because because <laughs> she was Canadian as well, and it's just it's reminding me. It sounded the same. So hello to Stephanie if she's listening in. She's awesome. <laughs> I love she's it. back over in Canada now. So you guys have to catch up. She's cool. Um, but you mentioned Leanne that when you first started, that the keto approach wasn't necessarily working for you either. You know, you had to sort of fine tune it and balance it and find what worked for you. So what was, what was the challenges you were having when you first started doing the keto in terms of, you said you, your hair falling out, sleep, jittery. Um, what were you doing wrong and how did you go about correcting it? Yeah. So I did keto for about six months. Uh, there were a couple of things looking back that I did wrong. The first one is I was forcing myself to fast. So intermittent fasting is this natural thing that happens when you're fat burning where you're just not as hungry. And so you go longer periods of time without food. And that's totally acceptable. Because as we were saying, you have all those calories on your body of fat, it's burning fat when you're not eating. That's totally cool. It's actually pretty beneficial to your body. But when you're forcing yourself to fast, when you're actually hungry, but you're forcing yourself to just be miserable, um, that's not a good thing. Uh, another thing is, uh, I was fasting. So I was coupling the intermittent fasting, uh, approach and also reducing my calories. So even when I was eating, I wasn't eating to satiety. It's, it's a lot of that dieting mentality that I, I pulled over into keto because I kind of felt like, well, I got a taste of weight loss. I mean, two months and I had lost 12% body fat and 20 pounds without really doing anything. And then it just became this game of like, how much weight can I lose? And so I kind of lost sight of what my original goal was, which was to get my period back. So that was another issue that um, I came across. And also when you, I mean, back then in 2014, when you went online and and tried to search keto for women or keto hormones or um, ladies on keto. I mean, there was nothing. I was searching and searching and everyone just said that the ketogenic protocol um, is the same for men as it is for women. And it took me a while to realize and to remember that women's hormones run on a 28, maybe 35 day cycle, depending on where your cycle is at. Whereas men, it resets every 24 hours. So assuming that any diet will work the same to men that it will for women is just ludicrous, especially when you're dealing with um, changing your cholesterol and adjusting your adrenals by having them function differently because your kidneys are working differently on a ketogenic diet, all these different things I just wasn't thinking of. And I think that's what caused um, the hair loss, the energy dysfunction, the pins and needles. Uh, I wasn't using a lot of electrolytes. In fact, I wasn't supplementing at all with electrolytes. And electrolytes are really important on a ketogenic diet as our body uses up water and electrolytes a lot different in a ketogenic state. So those are a couple of the issues or, or problems and mistakes that I made on a ketogenic diet. And once I adjusted that, once I started eating enough, once I stopped forcing myself to fast and realized that carbohydrates weren't as bad as I thought they were going, they were, uh, I, I demonized carbohydrates when I started the ketogenic diet and I wasn't actually having enough. So it became, you know, every couple of days I would have 
50 to 150 grams of carbs, depending on what I needed. And during the night, I would burn those carbs. In the morning, I would wake up back in a ketogenic state, and I would just go about my business. And by doing that practice, it helped reset my leptin, which uh, helped me fast naturally. So I wasn't hungry. I was just fasting. Uh, It helped me have better sleeps. My hair stopped falling out. Uh, My nutrient profile got a lot better with my blood work. I mean, the list goes on. So those are some of the things that I could think of. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. All right. So let's talk about uh, the, the things you're doing, Leanne, to help share this information with everyone. So obviously your podcast, it seems like that's absolutely going great guns. How long have you been doing that for now? I started the podcast, well, we're on episode 38-ish now, so I think I started it around October of 2016, and it's been going really well. We've been having some really great guests on the show. Um, I interview all different sorts of people, including people from my community at Healthful Pursuit, so um, I always panel my readers and say, do you want to be on the show? I'd love to chat with you about your experience because um, there's no better resource than what actual people are going through. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. So I like to have people on the show, like real people talk about their experience because it's going to be very different from uh, maybe what other people have experienced. So yeah, the podcast is going well. It's called The Keto Diet Podcast. Uh, We come up with episodes every Sunday and yeah, it's going really fabulously. And you've got several books and ebooks and meal plans on your website as well. Just do you want to tell us a little bit, a little bit about those? Yeah, so I started off when I first started keto, I wrote The Keto Beginning. So this is a woman's experience eating keto for the first 30 days and how I transitioned from a plant-based diet to eating meat and fat and the issues that I came about and how I dealt with them and overcame those things. And so I, I documented everything. I journaled every day and came up with strategies. And a couple of months after figuring out what the heck I was doing, I released the keto beginning and that guides people through the first 30 days of how to eat uh, a ketogenic diet. And then I launched fat fueled, which is my flagship program. Really? Um, it teaches you, okay, so now that you know what keto is, how do you use it to heal your body? Um, And then I released a balanced keto, which is a meal plan subscription service. So every week you get a meal plan delivered to your inbox that has everything you need to create, including a couple of carb up practices. You can play around with that. It's enough to feed one person. So if you need to duplicate stuff, it's easy. If you have two mouths to feed or three, you just duplicate everything and it's really easy to do. And then I just released in April of 2017, uh, my paperback, which is called the keto diet and it's 448 pages of how to cook keto. So if you're lost in the kitchen and you're like, but how do I make a smoothie? And and should I make nut milk or should I not? And what's the difference? And how do I sprout things? And do I really need to? Um, so it's all in the keto diet and how to really cook yeah, all the great. things. So, yeah. Great. And you know, people listening in have probably just gone, hang on, smoothie? What do you mean? I can make a keto smoothie? Because <laughs> you think keto, Heck, you yeah. think smoothie and you think like fruits and vegetables for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I have a smoothie, I would say maybe three times a week now, and it includes a lot of avocado, uh, usually chocolate, and even sometimes some low-carb berries like blueberries, raspberries, strawberries. I have a higher carbohydrate tolerance than the normal person, so I can stay in ketosis 
maybe around like 80 grams of total carbs a day, whereas um, the standard protocol is 20. So I can get away with a lot more things. Um, so I sometimes include those berries in there. Otherwise, it's just a lot of grains, a lot of fat, coconut milk, almond milk, nuts or seeds, um, any kind of protein powder. I really like collagen for its healing benefits. Um, but any protein powder is just fine. And whip it up and MCT oil. I mean, you can go crazy on the fats. You can get like 80 grams of fat in a smoothie easily. And then you don't have to worry about your fat nice. through the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Leanne. Yeah. <laughs> people, people are going to want to find out more about you. So obviously they can head to your website, which is healthfulpursuit.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-P-U-R-S-U-I-T.com. Uh, and the same, Healthful Pursuit at Instagram as well. They can follow all your amazing recipes and all the things that you're up to there. Um, they can go on your website and see your eBooks, your books, your meal plans, and your podcasts, all at healthfulpursuit.com. So thank you so much for coming on board today, Leanne. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. For everyone else, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.